before we open the word of God, let us all bow our heads in prayer. Loving Father in heaven, we come before thy throne of grace this morning, knowing that you have the words of eternal life. And where can we go if we want to have eternal life but to thee, the living God? And only through Jesus Christ can we attain that. Bless the word that it go, as it goes forth this morning. Uh, be with each and every one of us, especially thy weak servant. We pray that your Holy Spirit not only inspire him, but each and every heart to be open, to be receptive to it. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear ones, for this morning's text, I'd like to turn to a chapter which I preached some time ago in, in another church. So please forgive me if you've heard some of this before, but I felt it's very necessary for our own selves to hear this. It's the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon is just before Hebrews. The letter of the Apostle Paul to a servant in the church of Colossae by the name of Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow, fellow laborer, and to our beloved Apphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may be become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such and one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, and therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels, whom I would have obtained with, retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel." But without thy mind, I would do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me, 
but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me, therefore, a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand, I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how much thou owest unto me, even at thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Written from Rome to Philemus by Onesimus, a servant. Let's bow down and worship the Lord together. We come into thy presence, loving Father, creator of this vast universe, sovereign ruler of all, to worship thee, for thou art worthy of all that not only we can say, but do and be. Father, we thank thee for the love, the grace that We were runaways. We owed thee everything, and yet we were received as a child, as a son, as a daughter, through the sacrifice, through the purchase of your own son's blood. Father, we cannot comprehend how much love how much mercy, how much we've been forgiven. The, the scale is beyond our ability to, to measure and to put into words. And Lord, we're thankful that we can come not only to express our gratitude, our adoration for your greatness, your goodness, your power, your majesty, your wisdom, for your character, but also, Lord, that we can come and hear and receive and be instructed Lord, children need guidance, and we especially need your guidance this morning. There's so much we don't understand, so many things we presume that to understand that we do not. And so we pray that you would open our minds and our hearts, reveal and show us the next step, and show us where we need to adjust and change and to conform to the image of your Son. Father, speak to us through your living word, and may we receive it deeply. May it penetrate past the pride, the distraction, the hardness of our hearts, the, the habits so deeply ingrained, Lord, that new life 
and new fruit could be brought to your glory. Father, you know our needs, not only for instruction, but we are dependent on you for everything. Lord, you know those among us who, who need encouragement, those who may be isolated and alone. We've heard about our precious brethren out in Regina and Prince Albert, and Lord, we pray that you would comfort and encourage and send workers into your harvest. Lord, that your kingdom may grow and that your word may be heard in the many places where there is no testimony, clear testimony to your truth. We pray that that testimony would be clearer here, not only in the word spoken, but the lives lived. Lord, help us to reflect you better. We pray for those who are sick, Lord, who, who need your healing and your comfort, and those who care, and wisdom for those who are responsible for their care. Lord, we think of Monica and Emily Jarvine. We think of Olga Ordug and Vanessa Tubba and Jennifer Series. And, Lord, there are many more that uh, we cannot name now that you know their needs. And we pray that you would give them not only health, but a sense of your presence, that you are with them through the valley, and that you will bring them through the other side, not healed physically, enriched spiritually, and better fit for eternity. Father, help all of us to see what is eternal, what is worth investing in, what will endure those final flames, that we would not waste our lives on chaff, but could build with gold and diamonds. We pray for your spirit to work freely. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear ones, when the Lord Jesus taught his disciples how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, he prayed a prayer that is a template for all of us where we come before the king of creation, the God of the universe, and first utter our worth, or his worth, should I say, from our lips of who he is. He's our father which art in heaven. He rules from his throne on high. And we, in response, realize that we are on the earth. We are so small and he is so great. We hallow his name, or we utter that his name be hallowed, revered, set aside, set apart, to be used in respectful 
manner. And we entreat that his kingdom comes and his will be done on earth as it is being done in heaven. Then Jesus said, you need to petition things from this creator, this giver. And one of the essential things to petition for survival on this earth is food. Give us this day our daily bread. But the next thing that we petition is also essential, which none of us can live eternally without. He says, and forgive us our sins or debts or transgressions or trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. He goes on to say and says, if we don't forgive each other their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you yours. We have a letter to Philemon by the Apostle Paul. And it doesn't say a lot of explicit things, but you can gather what happened here as Paul writes to a beloved fellow laborer by the name of Philemon, believed to be in the church of Colossae, as you read from his letter to the Colossians, you'll see many names that are very similar, the same. And the nature of the letter is one of beseeching this beloved, dear friend Philemon to forgive a person that he knew a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. From the text, we can deduce that Onesimus had wronged Philemon in some way, and from the text, you can also deduce he probably stole things from him, whether it was money or possessions, and he fled. Now, Colossae is somewhere in Turkey, And this letter was written in Rome, hundreds of miles apart. Somehow, Onesimus fled, thinking that if he escapes as far away as Rome, Philemon will never catch him. You know, when I went to Australia to look for my brother, the city of Darwin is at the very top end of Australia. They call it the top end, actually. And when I got there, I was told by people that Darwin is the city of aliases. Many people that flee to Darwin are fleeing some kind of a crime they have committed in the major cities, and they come under another name so that they won't be detected or tracked down, if you will. And you see, Onesimus thought he would do that. He would flee to a remote place. He had committed a crime. And he was serving Philemon probably because he owed Philemon something. Or he owed the government something. And, he was, and Philemon had purchased him to be a bondservant until his 
punishment was fulfilled. And Onesimus thought that his problems were over. He's a free man. But somehow, it doesn't say in this story, in this not story, a true account, a letter which Paul writes to Philemon, somehow Onesimus meets Paul. Don't know how. Doesn't say. There may have been a time where Paul was allowed to go out on, uh, on a pass, if you will. Somehow he met him. Or somehow maybe Onesimus was brought to Paul, but through it all, through it all, Paul speaks to Onesimus, and Onesimus hearing the gospel and probably seeing this the sincerity of Paul's pleas and the power of the message he gave him, he believes. He's converted. He confesses to Paul what he has done. But now, there's a dilemma. What do you do? What do you do when you're found out? What do you do when you know you're guilty? What do you do when you know you've hurt someone? That is a good man, even at that. After Paul explained to him who Philemon was, and maybe he didn't have to explain to Onesimus who Philemon was. Philemon knew who, uh, Onesimus knew who Philemon was. He worked for him. But he bit the hand that fed him. And now what do we do? So through much counsel, through much instruction, Paul says, this is what you need to do. You need to go back. You need to ask for forgiveness. You need... To make right what was wrong. The Bible calls that, I believe, in the Old Testament at least, restitution. When you restore the wrong, you make right the wrong. Now, The most important thing of all of this is not so much the restitution. It's important, but it's not the most important. The most important thing in all of this is to acknowledge and realize the wrong that I have done. And act upon it. That's called repentance. A part of repentance may be restitution. I'm mindful of the account of Zacchaeus, the wee little band that the kids sing about in Sunday school, who climbed up into the sycamore tree, and as Christ was passing by, Jesus sees him and says, Zacchaeus, you come down, I've got to come to your place today. So Zacchaeus, probably hoping that Christ would do that, or have a chance to meet him, uh, takes the opportunity, and it doesn't say where this occurred. It probably occurred in his place. Zacchaeus says, before Jesus said anything, 
at least according to the record. Half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've taken anything by false accusation, I restore unto that man fourfold. You see, Zacchaeus was a publican, a tax collector. And he took more than he was given license to do by the Romans. Although they probably knew they did that, but at least they had someone doing their dirty work for them to get money from Jews that may be antagonistic and let them take the flag. Let the publicans take the flag, but we'll get our money. And so Zacchaeus makes this statement to Christ and whoever was with him in the room and on that statement on that statement Jesus said verily I say unto you that today salvation has come to this house inasmuch that he is also a son of Abraham but he hasn't paid yet he hasn't restored yet he hasn't, com- he hasn't gone through with his restitution, but Jesus said salvation has come to this house today. Jesus was focusing on the heart of the individual. As long as the heart has changed, he knows it's going to be good. And I'm sure that Zacchaeus did good on his promise. You see, salvation is based on a transformed heart. The analogy that I've given before, you can't take an orange tree and stick lemons on its branches and say it's a lemon tree now. Jesus said the tree is known by its fruit. And conversion is not from outside in, not just to look like a Christian, but to be a Christian inside, to be converted. The very chapter in Matthew 18 that talks about a similar theme on forgiveness, when Peter asks Jesus, how many times shall I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, I don't say it to you seven times. Seventy times seven. If your brother trespass against you and repents, you forgive him. Then the analogy or the parable was given of the one man that was forgiven a hundred pennies, if I'm not mistaken. And he pleaded with his Lord. To forgive him and he'll repay everything. But don't punish me now. And the Lord was merciful. The Lord was gracious. And he frankly, he said, frankly, he forgave him all. But this same man went out and there was, I think I got it mixed up, a big sum, 10,000 talents. And then the same man went out and his friend owed him 100 pennies. Far less than the huge, huge sum that the first one was forgiven for. 
And he grabbed him by the scruff of the neck. That's how I picture it. And says, you forgive me. You, you give me everything back. And the man said the same thing. Forgive me. Give me time. And he would not. And he sent him to his punishment, prison, whatever it was, to read the chapter again. But when the Lord found out that the first man that was forgiven a huge sum, I think it was 10,000 talents, a huge sum that he could never repay back in a hundred lifetimes perhaps. He was wrath. He was angry. He went back to that first man and he threw him into prison that he could never get out of. You see, forgiveness, God views forgiveness very seriously. So seriously that he says, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. We may say, but you don't know how much he's done to me. You don't know how much he's hurt me. Or you don't know what she said about me. I could never forgive that. The example that I gave in Windsor six months ago, I read this article, it was in the paper actually. It was about Christmas time. When Christmas is a time of joy, happiness, families getting together, peace on earth. And for some reason, one of the writers in the Globe and Mail brings up the story of a man called Dr. Abuelesh, living in Toronto, and recounted his story when he was living in Israel. How there was, uh, the Hamas was active with their rockets at Israel, and the Israelis were firing back. At the same time, approximately, his wife had become ill, had leukemia. She passed away. He was left with eight children. The youngest was six years old. And because of the shelling, he decided every night to move their mattresses into the dining room and they'd sleep there, thinking that it would be safe. Until a rocket went through the window and blew them up and three daughters were killed. Two others were seriously injured. And in his grief, he thought, what am I going to do? He said, if I continue to hold this resentment and grudges and hatred against the Jews, it'll never end. Anger and hatred will perpetuate. And so he wrote a book, I can't remember the exact name, something like, Thou Shalt Not Hate. Something like that. 
And he started a foundation. It's called the Forgiveness Foundation, and I believe it's headquartered in Toronto. And he went on national TV in Israel. And he gave his story as to why he didn't believe he had to hate anymore, but he had to forgive the Palestinians. And the Prime Minister of Israel was watching that program and he broke down and wept. Dr. Abuelesh was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. But you hear this being done in a faith which we consider to be full of hate. And this one man realized you cannot win with unforgiveness. With unforgiveness, it just makes you a worse person. If you're thinking you're holding out or holding siege on your brother or sister, because I'm going to make him or her feel it for what she's done or he's done to me, I'm going to hold siege. And I've always made the analogy, when you do that, you're not holding siege on that brother or sister. You may be. You may be you're making them feel bad, but who's the real captive here? Who's the real one that is suffering? And the analogy is that you've got them on a handcuff. And you take them everywhere you go. It's constantly cycling through your mind. The negative thoughts, the ill will, the anger, the hatred. I remember Brother David Kapazinski when he talked about, this is many, many years ago, 25 years ago maybe at camp in one of his forums. He's some psychologist that, used to go, that still goes to the Norton Church. And he said that bitterness... With bitterness, you, the people that are very bitter tend to have an excellent memory of every single detail of what the offender did to them. Why? Because it's constantly cycling through their mind. And there's constant ill will, constant anger, constant bitterness. And you think that by withholding forgiveness... That somehow it's going to make the situation better. Someone else said that unforgiveness is like giving a person free rent in your mind. He's living in your mind free of charge. And no matter where you go, he's there or she's there. 
And it doesn't make you a better person. It makes you a bitter person. God knew that full well. God knew full well that the greatest need of man is forgiveness. The greatest need of man is forgiveness. When God heals us, he wants to heal our whole being. He just doesn't want to give us a better physical life. Or a good life with our families. He wants to heal our whole being. Because we are made and created in the image of God. So Paul sees, and who, who perhaps more, I, I shouldn't compare, because sin is sin and forgiveness is forgiveness, but the extent to what the Apostle Paul went in his life, in that he persecuted the church of Christ, he persecuted the body of Christ, he sent many to prison, he killed many. He was testifying to the stoning of Stephen, his, the servant of God. And at that stoning, Stephen sees heaven open. And he says, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. And Paul, all his life, he, he could remember... The, the tragedy, the, the terrible persecution and atrocities that he had committed against his now brothers. He said, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So who would know better than Paul perhaps to write this letter to Philemon and says, Brother Philemon, you're such a wonderful example. You're such a refreshment to me. I thank my God making mention of the always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Putting a bit of pressure on Philemon now. Towards all the saints. Philemon has not yet discovered that one of the saints that he's talking about is Onesimus. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Say, so remember who you are. You are a son of the highest. You are the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have all these qualities because of what Christ has done for you. Remember who you are. What is your identity? Therefore I thought to be bold in Christ, though I might be bold in Christ, though I might use my apostolic authority, though I might use the power that God has given me or perhaps the influence I could have twisted your arm I could have sort of made it very difficult for you for not to forgive him 
yet for love's sake, I rather beseech you, I beg you, being such an one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, in prison. I beseech you for my son. He's my son. The faith. Onesimus. Whom I have begotten in my bonds, in my old age, in prison. Which in time past, Onesimus was to you unprofitable. Because of his attitude, because of what he did to you. But now profitable to you and to me. Whom I have sent again. You know, Onesimus got this letter. Sorry, Philemon got this letter actually from Onesimus. But maybe he hadn't known the circumstance of the letter. Onesimus, it says he delivered it to him. Whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him. That is mine own bowels. He had so much affection and love for Onesimus. Receive him. He is my own. He's my heart. He's a part of me. Whom I would have retained with me. I would have loved to have kept him, Philemon. He could have done me a lot of good service. I would have kept him. That instead of you being here so many miles away, he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. I would have loved to have kept him, but there was a great need for him to come to you. But without your mind, it's still within you. Without your own decision, without your own concurrence, I would do nothing. Paul respected Philemon so much. He said, I didn't want to presuppose anything, preempt anything, but I wanted you to make this decision. That thy benefit should not be, as it were, of necessity, not because you had to, but willingly because you wanted to. For perhaps therefore departed he for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. Perhaps he meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Perhaps this temporal thing that happened seemed really bad at the beginning, but now you can receive him forever and in a changed mind, in a changed heart, in a changed attitude. Not now as a servant. Perhaps servant is too in our Uh, vocabulary or language today it's perhaps a bit light what it really was saying not as a slave not as a slave but above a slave a brother beloved especially to me but how much more unto you both in the flesh and in the Lord If you count me, therefore, as a partner, 
co-laborer in Christ, receive him. If he hath wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. Now Paul, he's taking the place of the mediator. He becomes a mediator between Anisimus and Philemon. He is becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. We are no more like Christ when we forgive and when we can stand in the gap to make peace. If he's wronged you, I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it. I'll take the short end of the stick. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand, and I will repay it. Now, Paul does do a little bit of uh, gentle nudging here, and he says, but remember one thing, Philemon. Remember one thing. Don't forget how much you owe me. How much do you owe me? You see, if it wasn't for the preaching of Paul, perhaps Philemon would not have learned about eternal life. Just like Onesimus learned about eternal life. Learned about the Lord Jesus Christ. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou would also do more than I say. Isn't it wonderful that Christians, because they know what God has done for them, that they could freely do for others? Perhaps one of the most grandest at least from a Christian's point of view, concerning Christian life and Christian walk, the grandest statement on forgiveness is contained in Ephesians chapter 4. Perhaps this applies to Onesimus. Verse 26, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind, kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you.
Here's Paul saying, remember how much you owe me, Philemon. Here's Jesus saying, remember how much you owe me, Philemon. A debt that he could never repay. How God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And so Paul, knowing that Philemon knows this, says, having confidence in your obedience, I wrote unto you, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. We were forgiven by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He paid a great sacrifice, a great penalty. He shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. He gave everything. He gave his life. Why? Because he loved us. Because he loved us. And so what we, Jesus said in John 15, to give our lives for one another. And if we should give our lives for one another, we should also give our forgiveness to one another. Forgiveness, the word, actually, the root meaning of that word, forgive, is you granting to someone ahead of time, granting to them, whatever that is, a release, a detachment. from the offense he has caused to you. We really don't know what it's like to be saved. unless we know what it's like to be forgiven. We really don't know. If we don't know what it's like to be forgiven, I question whether we can say that we know that we're saved. And if we want to be like Christ, We need to forgive. And if we want to be like the children of the Father, Matthew 5, we need to love our enemies, 
We need to be non-retaliatory. We need to be non-resistant. We need to be meek. Because Jesus says, if you do so, you are doing so because you're like your Father, which is in heaven. May the Lord bless the word to all our hearts and to him be the glory evermore. Amen. About man's basic needs. Besides the need to simply survive, the one that matters most, the one that'll matter through eternity is the need to be forgiven. And in order to be forgiven, we need to forgive. I don't think we can get more simple or plain than that. There's a lot of of unpeace out there. A lot of people who don't feel that peace with themselves, peace with others around them, and that causes a lot more stress even than sometimes lack of physical provision. The Bible says better to live in a, with little on a, on a housetop than a house full of contention. But Jesus has shown us the way. He's shown us how to forgive and he's given us the grace and ability to forgive each other so that we can have peace no matter what our circumstances What a beautiful picture we've seen with Philemon. And may that beautiful picture of forgiveness and that perfect peace be with each one of us. That we conclude this morning's service.